we are continuing our sermon series here that we started, um, man, what was it, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? We started this four weeks, so this is the fourth week of our sermon series entitled uh, The Four Cups, and um, uh, this, this sermon series is something that has just been amazing so far, and God's been using it so much in people's lives, and when we say four cups, we mean the four promises of God, and, and we really believe that God has four specific promises, four um, plans for, for this generation, and really for all time. There are four things that just resonate throughout Throughout Scripture, when Jesus came, he talked about these four things. But we're calling them the four cups because the, 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 the Jews remember these four promises. They call them the four I wills. They remember them, especially during their Passover feast. And this just happened uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Passover is the time when they remember uh, the event when God delivered them out of Egypt. And God, God rescued them out of Egypt. And, and uh, that, that passage actually is found in Exodus chapter 6. And we're going to read Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Which, which show the four I wills or the four promises. And, and every time the, the Jews take Passover, they, they have four cups of wine. Each cup stands for one of these promises. You can't just rush in and drink all four cups really quick. It's very ceremonious. You, you have to do it in the right order. And each time before they drink a cup, they read the promise or the I will that God had given to Moses originally back, back when the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. But those promises still uh, apply to us today. And we believe that this is what God wants for each and every one of us. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, I think our giant Bible is now working again. Awesome. Um, and so let's go ahead and read that together. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is God, he says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now we call this first cup, we call this the, 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 the cup of salvation. And so this is the promise of God to bring you out from the yoke. The yoke is something heavy, it's bondage, it's oppression from the yoke of your enemy, which is Satan, which is sin. And God wants to bring you out of that. And so we talked about this on Easter Sunday, and um, we saw quite a few people just make that decision to step out of Egypt and come out from under that, that heavy yoke. Because God never intended for you to live a heavy life. God never intended for you to live a burdensome life. Jesus said, come to me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the connection with Jesus is freedom, it's peace, it's joy. And so those are the, that's the first step to receiving all of that. It all comes through Jesus Christ, and it comes through drinking of the first cup, allowing him to take us out of Egypt. Secondly, he says, uh, I will take out of Egypt, and then I will, I will free you from being slaves to them. And we talked about this last week. I will free you from being slaves. It sounds very similar to the first cup, to the first promise, but really it's, it's the next step. Because when you first step out of Egypt, um, it's great to be free from the oppression of, 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 of the Egyptians and of that bondage, but you can still think like a slave. And so this step, this, this cup, is a process. This is something that God works in us, and it, and it takes some time. And so we talked about that last week, that God wants to give, give you the cup of deliverance. He wants, he wants you to drink of that cup. Uh, it's, it's not, it's, he doesn't just want you to, to pray a prayer and to, and to step out of Egypt to make a commitment to follow, but he, but he wants you to take the next step, which is allow Egypt to get out of you, allow him to work Egypt out of you. And so that's the cup of deliverance, and um, we're actually celebrating that cup tonight. Uh, we're having a baptism service, uh, our very first baptism service tonight, um, not here, but it's going to be in, uh, um, yeah, we're not allowed to do it here in the, in the theater, uh, but there is a, a, a church, Point Community Church, it's right around the corner from here, it's off of 1626 and old San Antonio. Um, you have it in your, in, in your worship guide. 
Um, we'd love for you to join us tonight. We have about 11 people right now who've decided to be baptized. Um, and that's really that, that's, that's, that, that's that next step. That's the next step of saying, God, I want, I want all of you and I, and I want none of Egypt. I just, I, I just want all of you. And so, um, if you would like to be baptized tonight, there's still room for more. Um, you can, you can come and, and, and actually everybody who's baptized is going to get one of these shirts right here. I don't know if you can see it, but I was wearing it just to, just to be able to show it off to you. Uh, it says I have decided and then to no turning back. Um, so those of you who've been in the church for a while, you know, that's from an old song. But for me, it's just written on a bear, which is kind of fun. Um, but, but this is the cup of deliverance, and we, we look forward to, to baptizing uh, everyone who, who would like to be baptized. And, and uh, that's at 7 o'clock tonight, and so you can join us tonight. It's in your worship guide, the, 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 all the, the details about that. But that, that is part of the cup of deliverance. That's the next step. And then we're going we're gonna to talk about this third cup today, which says, I will redeem you. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. That word redeem means to buy back or to put back to an original purpose, to an original intent. That, and, 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 and the idea is that God had a plan for your life. God has an intention for your life, and he wants to put you back on track to that. He wants to restore you. Uh, the, uh, that, that cup, uh, we call that the cup of restoration. That's the cup of restoration or redemption where God's going to bring us back and, 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 and into our original plan. And then fourthly, he says, I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Now, this cup is the cup where he's, he mentions people. So it's a group. And so he's, going to, he's, going, he's not just going to redeem us to our initial plan, to our purpose for our life. He's also going to put us in a group of people making a difference. And so we call this the cup of fulfillment because we really believe that that is, that, that, that is the top. I mean, that, that is the touchdown. That's, that's, that's the goal line. That's where God wants each and every one of us to get, where, where we are living a life uh, of praise. The Jews call it the cup of praise because it, it, really, it really is. It becomes your, your life becomes praise. It's not just a song that you sing, but, um, but your life can become that praise when you're a part of a group of people who are making a difference in the world. And uh, we believe that God has that for each and every one of us. Uh, would you go ahead and pray with me? And I'm going to get started on today's cup, the cup of, of redemption, restoration. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you. Um, that it's actually not raining today. That, that is awesome. It's a Sunday where it's not raining and it's beautiful skies. I thank you for that the weather's getting warmer. Um, I pray that you would, you would help it not get too warm because that's just, that's just terrible. So keep it in the 80s all summer long, Lord. Miracles, Jesus name. Lord, miracles. miracles happen. Um, no, I don't know what that would do to Texas crops. It would probably like destroy the whole system. It would break break the matrix. But it would help me out a lot. That's that, that's definitely for sure. Um, uh, one one story from my childhood that I would like to share with you because it's something that you need to know. First of all, you need to know that that as a pastor of the church, um, I am a mama's boy. Yes. And this is just true. This is just one of those things that is just common knowledge to anybody who really knows me. And still to this day, I'm still a mama's boy. My mom is watching online right now. And so, uh, hi, mom. Uh, what's so funny? She's, she's not, anyway, um, she's, I've just always been that way. And so, and so I didn't really like to like, get away from mom too much. I, I didn't like to go on long trips. In fact, that's, why I, that's, one, that's one of the main reasons why I didn't like Boy Scouts. I got into Boy Scouts for a while. And then I was a Boy Scout dropout because you have to go, you have to go on these long camping trips, A, without mom, B, camping. So 
you know, like like without without a bed, without sleep. Like you have a sleeping bag on the floor, on the ground, on the dirt, basically, is what you're sleeping on. And you wake up all wet from the condensation. It's just, you know, you can't brush your teeth with it's just nasty. So I, I was never I, I wasn't able to survive in Boy Scouts. Um, which is why my, my parents were really surprised. I was about I think I was about eight or nine years old when I decided to go to kids camp, church kids camp. Um, uh, I don't know what came over me. Like it was like peer pressure because I had this friend named Keith. He was the same age as me, and Keith was pumped up about kids camp. Keith was going to kids camp. He was excited, and I, I thought it sounded like kind of a fun thing. Keith was like my best friend. Like we were we were we were we were bros, right? We were, we were tight, and so I was like, man, Keith is going to kids camp. I want to go to kids camp, and I, and I, I remember it made an impression on me when I told my parents I'd like to go to kids camp. My mom was like, really. You know, I was like, well, should I not? Like, what do they do to kids in kids camp? Should I not go to kids camp? This is kids camp. What are you saying, Mom? But she was so surprised. She was like, well, no, 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 it's fine. If you want to go to kids I just didn't think you'd want to go. And I said, well, I, yeah, I, I want to go to kids camp. It was like three hours away. And so all the kids pile into the, you know, a, a bus, a church bus, and we all drive to kids camp. And, and Keith and I are there, and, and, it's, and we're having a great time, right? And so we, we arrive at kids camp, and it's like mass pandemonium from that moment onward. Um, they just open up the doors, and I just remember like 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 just fields, like like a lot of space, and there was like a, a a river over there with a bridge on it, and there was a big cafeteria, and there was some dorm rooms, and so like Keith just leaves me. Keith like just takes off. Like I don't, I still don't know. I think Keith is probably there somewhere. I don't know. I never saw him the whole time. It's the weirdest thing. I was like the whole reason I went was Keith, and then I look around and Keith is not there, and I'm like, oh, okay. And so I got my bag, you know, and so I go to the, to the, to the, to the, the dorm room, and I, I pick out a bunk, put my stuff there, and then I go looking for Keith. Like, that's pretty much my mission the whole time, was looking for Keith. <laughs> it was pretty sad. Um, and so I go to the cafeteria. I'm thinking, well, maybe Keith, because I've always liked to eat, and, and cafeteria food is great because it's greasy and cheesy and, and just my kind of food. And so I go to the cafeteria, and there are older kids. I was about eight years old. There was like 14-year-old kids, which they're like giants to me still. But they're like, you know, they're, they're tall. <laughs> and uh, I know some of you were thinking this. I just had to say it. Um, you know, they're like giants to me, and, and they're already engaging in like de- to-the-death dodgeball. And, and they are just slinging those rubber balls, and like little kids my size are just getting pinged like against the wall they're just being lifted up off the ground onto the cement and i'm like this is not fun this is not i don't want to like so i just closed the door like i didn't even want to walk through that because you had to go through the battlefield in order to get to the food and i it's all right i don't need to eat and so i closed the door and i went back out to look for keith outside and i'm walking around i couldn't find anybody i finally found a group that they were going on a um on a on a hike Right, and so, so so they're going on a hike, and I'm like, well, okay, sure, let's let's go on a hike. So so I'm on this this little nature hike, and it was it was not you know it was not extreme. It was eight year olds, and uh, there was just this little path out there in the woods. And so I'm walking along this path in the woods, and there's this other kid about my age. He's there with me, and uh, we kind of struck up a conversation, and like the two of us really really hit it off. We really started kind of a cool friendship. So we're talking and talking, and I've always been a bit of a talker, and so we're just kind of obviously he was impressed. <laughs> with my charm and my wit and my my humor and uh we were just you know we were just having a great time and that's when we realized that the group was, was gone oh, no. we're like it just happens all of a sudden it's this weird for little kids i i think now as a as an adult i would see what's happening but i didn't see it as a kid and and i, I look around and oh there's there's where's where's the group so we walk a little faster and they're not there and then of course you come to a fork in the road 
And it's like, uh, which way? I don't know. Let's, let's go this way. So, so we, we walked that way. It ended up being a huge circle that went like this because we came back like an hour later, like to the same spot. <laughs> we were like, oh, that didn't work out. Um, let's try that way. And so we just, we just tried. I, I mean, we were out there like all afternoon. Trying, we, 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 we found a dead bear, which was cool. I remember that. His guts were like hanging out. We were like, yeah, that's cool. And uh, this guy stuff. And so, um, you know, we finally found this clearing in the woods. And so we, we, and then there's the big fields again. And I, I, I see the cafeteria and I see the river and all that kind of thing. And we're like, okay, great. We're good. And so, and, and so we're, we're, we're walking along and then we find a group that's that they're, they're going fishing. And so they're, they're, they're fishing. I've never liked fishing, which, you know, it's a great way to, to not win friends and influence people in Texas. But I, I just figure I got to be myself and tell you, I do not like, I don't know why I don't like fishing. Because honestly, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, how awesome is it to sit there and I don't know. It's amazing. I, I can see the, the adrenaline just pumping every single time. I don't, like it's it's just me. I'm just weird. All right. I'm just I'm just odd. Just don't like fishing. I, it, but my biggest problem at the age of eight was that whenever my dad would take me fishing, we always had to like kill the worms. To fish, and I thought that was so cruel, and it's especially cruel because you're like stabbing them, and you can't just stab them once. Like you, like the hook goes through the middle, and then they're still like, 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 like you know, writhing on the hook. So then you gotta like stab them again. So it's like you're basically crucifying the thing, you know, like each arm and down the feet, just boom, 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 all the needles, and then you have to chuck them out there. And I hated that part. And so, and so this kid that I met, he didn't mind it. Apparently, he was pretty sick in the head, and he's like, all right, cool, I'll do it. And so I'm like, cool, man, here you go. And and so he's 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 crucifying the worms and. And, uh, and, and he, he forgot something, so I get up to go get something, and that's when I tripped on the line, the fishing line, and the hook went into his thumb. And I was like, oh, man. And so he, he's like, ah, he shows me, and I'm like, ah. And so I, I just take off running back to the cafeteria to get a camp counselor, right? Like, we need an adult here. And so I, I go and get them, and they come. It's all kind of a blur, and they, they come, they pick them up. And the last thing I remember about this kid, which I never saw again in my life, he probably avoided me forever, um, was like him being carried. I don't know why he was carried. His thumb was, but anyway, he's carried like by the camp cow. He looks back at me like, ah. and that's my memory of kids camp. Kind of, it's kind of right there. I was so traumatized that I, I got the camp counselor to call my parents. They drove three hours to come meet with me. And this is like that night. And, um, and mom's like, well, we just feel like it would be good for you to stay. Why, 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 why do you feel that? What are you? Mm. Anyway, I'm sure it was a valuable lesson that if I would have learned, probably would have helped me later on in life. But they were trying to teach me something. Like when you make a decision, you have to stick with it. And so I stuck with it. And it was, it was, that was my camp experience. It was not, it was not fun. But, but, but I tell that story because... Because honestly, I, I, I kind of feel like a lot of people view Christianity kind of that way. Like, you know, like they tried church one time and they tried God one time and they tried getting baptized one time. And they, 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 they started down this road like they, they were around a bunch of people that were really excited about this whole thing. And it's like kids camp, you know, Keith. And then all of a sudden, like Keith is gone. And, and now all of a sudden they're like wandering around Christianity, wandering around the church going, what like why am i here again i don't like fishing i don't like 
you know, being without my mom. And I, I don't know if it's an exact typology, but I do think there's a feeling of kind of wandering and being lost, trying to figure out why you exist, why you're here, what, what in the world is this really all about? And, 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 I, and I know that's true for, for a couple of reasons. One, the, Barna, the George Barna Institute um, did, did a poll a few years back of, of American Christians, and they found that 87%, 87%, that's a lot. I'm not good at math, but that is a lot of percents. <laughs> a lot of percents going on. 87% of, percent of people who are in the church, like, they don't know their purpose. They don't know why they were created. They don't know what they're good at. They don't know what God has called them to do. Whatever kind of phraseology you, that you want to use, they're basically kind of wandering around. Kids can't, they're kind of lost. 87%, which means statistically, almost nine out of every 10 folks here in this room is right there in that boat. And, and, and honestly, we saw, this, we saw this reflected in our Easter survey. We passed out a bunch of cards on Easter, and we asked everybody to fill out um, which about a third of you did, so good job. Um, but everybody who did fill out these cards, about 50-some people, they, 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 they filled out the card, and we asked them, okay, what would you like to hear us preach about? And we had about 20 things listed. I mean, just all sorts of things. And, and, and the number one chosen topic over, over everything, and it won actually by quite a bit, was finding my purpose. <laughs> That's the number one thing that you all want to hear about. And so today's sermon is very applicable to 90% of you because this is exactly where we are. And, and it's funny, the second, the, the second thing that was chosen was finding God's will, which is actually sort of similar to finding my purpose. And so there's a lot of interest, even here at City Chapel, Slaughter Creek, about what is my purpose, why am I here, what is, what is this really all about? And so, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. Obviously, we can't, we can't just lay it all out, but my, my, my hope, my dream is that we would help you take the first step, that we would help, ex- help explain a few things for you, help open up your eyes a little bit, and help you take the next step. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, all right. The first thing that I want to do is, is, is point you to a scripture. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. And we're going to look at the message um, uh, paraphrase of, of, that, uh, of that scripture. And it says it, that, that it's in Christ, first of all, it's in Christ that we find out who we are. It's in Christ. So, so now that you've come in Christ, now that you've made this decision to follow Christ, that's the first step to finding out who you are and what we are living for. So the who and the what are found in Christ. And this is why, because long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs for us for glorious living that were part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. Oh, four cups. Awesome. Do you not have that slide? <laughs> Oops. Okay. Well, if we would have had that slide, you could have read it. But it's in Christ. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. And long before we ever heard of Christ, he had his eye on us. And so the, so, so the first thing you need to understand is that God has a purpose for you, that God has a plan for you. And if you've ever been in church, you've probably heard that. Uh, sometimes that's, that's overstated and it's just stated so much. And, 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 but, 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 but it's still true. It's still true that, that long before you were even born, that God saw you and God saw what he wanted for you. 
And this is, this is a plan that, that he had in your life. But the, the, the problem is most of us are not, are not walking out that plan. We're not living that original purpose because, we, because we've, we've walked away from God. And so as we walk away from God, we start making up our own plan. We start doing our own thing. We, we, step, into, we step into problems and, 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 and all sorts of addictions, and, 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 and life happens. And so by the time you come to City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, you're nowhere near what God, where, where you started and now you're somewhere else, and and so and and, and so so I, so I want to look back at the scripture there there in Exodus chapter six, where God tells us how He's going to redeem us. He says, first of all, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So there's two things right there: an outstretched arm. In other words, He's going to stretch His arm out. So 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 when He redeems us, when He puts us back to where we were supposed to be, first of all, He has to stretch His arm out, right? And and the reason why He has to do that is because we are so far from where we were originally. And so what, what God is saying is, even if you're far away, even if you're feeling lost at kids camp, even if you're way out there, I'm going to stretch out my arm as far as it can reach, as far as you are, and pull you, put you back in the purpose that I prepared for you. Psalm, Psalm 18 verse 35 puts it this way. It says, you stoop down to make me great. You stoop down to make me great. So God, God's way up there, and sometimes he seems unapproachable and, and just far away, and we just, we, we, we just can't even get to him. But Psalm says that, that, there, that no matter how far you've fallen or how far off the path you, you feel like you are or how lost you are, that God's arm is long enough to reach out and pull you back and put you back on track. That's, that's, that's the promise of restoration. That's the promise of redemption. So so often, like for those of us who grew up in the church, we heard about God's plan for our life. And it's like God had this perfect plan. It was perfect, kind of like, like a glass vase is perfect. And, you know, and it, sometimes this was actually used to, to threaten us because it was like, well, you don't want to do that because then you'll, you'll, you'll mess up God's plan for your life. Right, like you don't want to. It, it was used kind of like to scare us away from doing things that we really shouldn't be doing. But it was, but it was, it was put in such a way that, like, well, if you go down that road, or if you marry that person, or if you do, then I, then the glass vase is going to fall off the shelf, and it's going to break into a bazillion pieces, and you'll never fulfill God's plan for your life. And so many of us, like, the, the glass vase has fallen off the shelf. We've done what we weren't supposed to do. We've, we, 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 we've messed it up, and we feel like it's, 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 it's broken. It's gone. Like, his plan is, 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 just, is just lost, and, and we cannot ever get back. But, but I would like to introduce you to, to a different way of thinking about God's plan for your life. And uh, maybe it's because I'm into football, but this is kind of the way I think of it. Every coach walks into a game with what they call a game plan. Uh, for Dallas, it's basically just run DeMarco Murray. Yeah. <laughs> That's the game plan. Now that he's gone, I don't know what the game plan is, but uh, I'm a Detroit fan, so I really don't have to worry about that. So you guys just figure that out on your own. Um, but, but, you know, every coach walks in with a game plan. It's like, okay, this is uh, how we're going to win. We have this plan, and this, this plan is going to make sure that we win. Well, most of the time, their game plan has to change because they come up against an enemy that, uh, you know, has a game plan as well. And so that game plan and those game plans have to work. And so the, the master coach is not the one that, that says, okay, the, uh, for the whole game, this is every single play we're going to do. He's not, that's, that's not the best coach. The best coach is the one who takes what the enemy's doing and says, okay, this is how we're still going to win. 
because because God's plan for your life wow. is not just a set of instructions that if you if you to you know A B C D E F G H I you know and oh you didn't get C right so now you're all messed up. Yeah. It's, it's not it's, it's not it's, it, it, it's not like that. His plan is for you to win. His plan is victory, and so He has victory for you because He's the greatest coach ever. By the way, He's never lost the game ever. And, and he's even had some Romos on his team and thrown several interceptions and, and fumbles and, and got sacked. I mean, you know, like, like just, just read scripture and you're going to find lots of people that, that made a lot of mistakes that, that, that didn't follow the game plan very well at all. But when they, when they turned to God, God was able to take what they had left and bring victory out of it. Yeah. I was just talking to my kids this past week about Samson, and Samson is kind of one of those stories that it's really sort of a sad story because Samson was so great for God. Samson had this really long hair, and he was really strong. He was doing great things for God, but he had a problem with the ladies, and um, that got him in trouble. And it's, it's an example for us. It's an example for us, right? So I can talk to Micah, don't have problems with ladies. You know, like, you know, just, this isn't good. Um, and, and, and so I was telling the story, but then, I was, but, but, but then there's a redemption to the story of Samson. There's a redemption at the end. His hair starts growing back, and he prays and says, God, let me do this one last thing for you. Let me, let me tear down this temple of Dagon, which is the, the, the pagan god that the Philistines worship. Let me just push this down and just destroy everybody in here. And so I told the kids about that. I don't know if that's a bedtime story for kids or not. I'm still working on the parenting thing, okay? Um, this is it's kind of cool to me. I mean, you know, he leans up against the pillars, and he pushes it down. The whole thing falls down. And Madden, my oldest, she's six, and so she, of course, asks the obvious question, well, what happened to Samson? That's what he got squished. <laughs> That's what happened. I mean, he's right in the middle of the whole thing. He got squished. And she's like, oh. You know, is that, is that, is that really so good? And I said, and I said, oh, baby, look, here's, here's the deal. He did die. But the, the thing is, like, 100% of people die. Everybody dies. But not everybody gets to die doing what they were created to do. And for me and my kids and my wife and my family, I want to die getting to do what I was created to do. That's the redemption of Samson. He got to go to heaven having done exactly what he was made to do. He was made to destroy that temple. He was made to destroy that that pagan place of worship. He was made to crush all the leaders of the Philistines. I mean, all in one shot, he was made for that. And he got to do it. And then he got to go to heaven. And so that's, that's the kind of purpose that God works, that whatever fumble you might have in your life, whatever mistake, whatever, whatever lady that you got messed up with, uh, God is able to redeem it. God is able to get you back on your original purpose almost like it never even happened. And that's the promise. That's the good news of the way that he does it. He does it with the outstretched arm. Wherever you are, he can find you. Secondly, he does it with mighty acts of judgment. Now, that, that word judgment kind of scares people a little bit. But the truth is, God's judgment, I don't believe his judgment is against us because at this point, we've already turned to him. We've already, we've, we, we've, I mean, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So at this point, we're already with God. The judgment is not necessarily against us, but it's against our enemies. But so often, I think, when, when, when people come to this place and they don't drink of this cup, one, because they feel like they're too far gone, and so you need to know that God's hand can find you wherever you're at and pull you back. But two, they, they don't drink of this cup because of the work of the enemy that has happened in their life. 
In other words, like, you do have an enemy. And here at City Chapel of Slaughter Creek, we believe that the devil's a real person, and we believe that he's been defeated by God. And we believe that he still attempts, even though he cannot destroy us, he still attempts to trip us up. And he still attempts to, to divert our path, divert our lives away from the plan that God has for our lives. In fact, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, the enemy, the devil, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I came in order that you might have life. And so there's, there, there is a plan of the enemy. There is a plan of the devil for your life. And he's trying to work and to scheme and to destroy you. On the other side of it, God is, 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 is at work as well. And I think you need to understand the order of this plan. And so, and so in order to sort of help explain this, um, I would like for us to look at the story of Joseph. And I just have one scripture here, which is at the end of the story of Joseph. Joseph is an Old Testament character who's famous in scripture because, well, he's, he's the guy who actually brought the children of Israel to Egypt. Uh, before, before they were in bondage, before they were enslaved, he was, he was ruling uh, the known world at that time from Egypt. And his family was starving in Canaan, and they came to Egypt, and they were saved. And so really the reason why, 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 why the Jewish nation exists today is because Joseph was able to save them. And God had this plan all along for Joseph. When Joseph was a kid, 17 years old, God gave Joseph dreams. And the dreams were of him ruling, and all of his brothers and his mom and dad and everybody, in fact, the stars and the moon even, bowing down before him. And he made the mistake of telling his brothers this dream. Uh, and they were kind of jealous of him. And so his brothers concocted this scheme, this plan, to, to sell him to these, to these slave traders, sell him off for some money, and get him out of there. And so, he, so, the, so the, 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 the 11 brothers sold Joseph into slavery um, at the age of 17. Now, Joseph has a lot of reasons to be bitter. Joseph has, has a lot of reasons to be angry at his brothers and at God. And all of that, because for, for, for a number of years, it seemed as if his, his plan, God's plan for his life, just wasn't going to work. And it wasn't even because of Joseph's fault. Joseph didn't necessarily choose slavery. He didn't choose any of that. He was, he was, he was jumped by his brothers and sold. And next thing he knows, he is off in Egypt um, as a slave, as a purchased slave. And by the way, that's not a cushy life. It's especially in ancient Egypt, that's not a nice existence. And he's, and he's there, and, and he's working as a slave, and it's, it's there that he's framed. And uh, the, his, his master's wife frames him and says, ah, oh, he was trying to sleep with me. And so uh, he gets thrown into the dungeon. So once again, Joseph is just one bad thing happening to him after another. And it seems like the enemy just constantly just pounding on Joseph, like kicking him when he's down. And finally, through a series of events in the dungeon, he meets, he meets the guy who was, who, was, who was the helper to the king, and that guy gets out of prison. He goes back to, to, to be with the king, and through a series of events, that guy says, hey, I met a guy down in the dungeon who I think can help. And, and, and through that event, he, he, he comes to rule all of Egypt. And that's his story. But at the end of his story, he, he confronts his brothers. And there's this beautiful moment of reconciliation. I would like for us, do we have that slide to be able to read? Um, awesome. Uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This is, what, this is what Joseph says to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me. He's honest. Um, I heard a reporter this past week uh, asking, asking a guy, uh, someone had, uh, a, a police officer had, had shot 
shot somebody who was unarmed, and he says it was an accident, and, and, uh, the, and he was making a public apology. And um, uh, they, the, the, the reporter was talking about that public apology and was talking to um, the representative of the family of the victim and, and said, you know, do they accept his apology? And, and, and the, the representative says, yes, 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 they accept his apology. And she said, so they think that it was an accident. And he said, well, I'm, I'm not saying that it wasn't, that it was okay what happened. I'm just saying that they accept the apology. And this is, this is what Joseph says. He's not saying that what they did was okay. He's not saying, you know, it, it was fine, you know, you just betrayed me and... Uh, uh, sold me into slavery and got rid of me for the past 17 years. That's all fine. No, he, he, says, he says, look, I know that your intention was not good. You intended to harm me. That, that, that was your plan. You planned to harm me. But look, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Now, just look at that for just a second. You intended to harm me. But God intended it all. <laughs> Think about that for just a second. We often read this passage and we say, we say, well, what the enemy intended for evil, God's going to turn around for good. That's actually not what it says. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say he turns things around. He's not a turnarounder. It's just not. <laughs> I don't think that's a word, but it's like, that's, not, that's not what he does. He didn't say that God's going to turn it around. God has, God has worked it out. That's not what he says. He says, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. So the what is the same. The why is different, but the what is the same. And this is what I believe is part of the way that God judges our enemy. He, he tricks our enemy into helping him fulfill his purpose for our lives see think about it for just a second god gives his dream to joseph he's a 17 year old kid he's he's a little farmer out in canaan like the one of the toughest places in the ancient middle east to try to live in because it was constantly a battleground read the history the ancient history it was like one nation taking over another nation taking over another nation nobody's going to rise up to power in canaan especially some farmer kid god gives joseph this dream and you're going to you're going to rise to power well, obviously, it's not going to happen in Canaan. He's got to get to Egypt. But the problem is he's his dad's favorite kid. His dad's never going to let him go to Egypt. And so I know God doesn't think like this. But if I were God, I'd be thinking, oh, oh, hmm, hmm, how are we going to do this? We need to get Joseph to Egypt. And at the same time that God's planning that, his enemies... His brothers are so jealous and so ticked off at him. Man, I can't stand him. I can't stand to have him around here. We need to get him to Egypt. God's like, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a good one. Right on track. And his enemies actually, they're, and now, now, now the reason why they're doing it is not for his good. But what they're doing is actually positioning him for his good. And so God takes what the enemy does to him, and he says, actually, see, because, because often I think we, 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 we see God as the guy who comes in in the middle of the story, right? Like, he's the guy who comes in after everything gets messed up from the devil, and the devil messes everything up, and then God comes in and fixes it up. And, and what Joseph is saying, no, 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 the, God is not just in the middle of the story. God was in the intention. God was in the beginning of the story. Wow. 
Like even before your enemy thought of what he was going to do to you, God already knew how he was going to use what the enemy was going to do to you in order to bring you to the place he wanted you to be. Yeah, that's good. And, he's, and, he, and, he, and, and, and Joseph sees this. God's not in the middle of my story. The, the way I think of it is my wife and I, we, we, we like to flip homes. And we do this. Uh, it's helped us financially. Because um, when you're in ministry, you, you don't get paid a whole lot. Um, I talked to one guy who, who didn't have a job for a while. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think maybe I'll just go start a church. And I said, well, don't do that. Don't. It's not going to help. You know? <laughs> not going to help. It's not going to help with money. I mean, I mean, if that's what God called you to do, do it. But mm, not for the money. Right. So for ministry, we've had to supplement. We had to do different things. So we flipped, I think, three or four homes together. And we, we, we basically buy ugly homes. Like we walk into nasty, ugly homes. And we're like, and we start seeing a vision for what it could be. Mm. You know, like that's, that's the, the, we, we, we enjoy it. We, it's something we do together, and um, it's, it's, it's fun. And we say, well, that paint could be there, that wall could be taken down, and that could be moved over there. And then we, we, just, we just organize it. And then at the end, it's this, it's this nice house that we live in for a couple of years, and then we sell uh, for a profit. And so this has helped us pay for my, my, my college debt. This has helped us pay for our cars. This has helped us get out of debt. And that's very important to us, that we don't live in debt. Um, and, so, and, and so for us, this has been great. But I think oftentimes we think that God, that God does sort of a similar thing. Like he comes in to our, to, our, to our broken home, our broken life, and he says, hmm, I see so much potential here. <laughs> you know, which, which, is, which is not bad. I'm not, I'm, 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 not, I'm not mocking that because God does see potential in you. But, but, but you have to think about the, 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 the position that God's in when he walks into your home, to your broken life. He doesn't walk in and just be like, okay, well, if we change that carpet and, and, and do this and do that. He's the one who actually built the home. Actually, he's the one who drew, like he's the architect that, that drew the plans for the home. He's the one who bought the property and cleared it and leveled it. He's the one who poured the foundation to the home. He's the one who put the studs up and, and hammered in every single nail. He put the insulation in and the, the sheetrock and the wiring. I mean, he, he built it. And so when he walks into your life, he's not like, I see what this could be. He's already walking into what he already made. And he says, oh, it's been a while since I've been in here. I love this place. I, I love how that room's over there and that, that, that fridge is there and that kitchen. I just love the layout. It's a great layout. This is, this is good bones. It's good bones is what we would say. It's good bones. We watch HGTV. I, what can I say? You know, you walk in. Hey, hallelujah. Was that, was, that, was that Jeezy? Just came in. HGTV. Um, no, he, he walks in and he knows it from a much closer, intimate level. He doesn't just try to dream up what it could be. He says, let's get it back to what it was. Let's just get back to what I intended. And the psalmist puts it this way, and I would just like to, to, to finish by, 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 by reading this, this passage out of Psalm 139, 13 through 18. It says, it says, you made all of the delicate inner parts of my body. You are the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. How do you see somebody before they're born? How do you, 
Another translation says, you saw my unformed substance. Unformed substance. How do you see that? Well, in, 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 in the mind. He saw you in his mind before he ever <laughs> saw you inside of your mother's womb. You saw me before I was born. Before I was, Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. Every moment laid out, even the moments that we don't think anybody would like to know about. Now, that's not to say that God made it happen every moment. He just knew it was going to happen. And just to prove to you that he knew it was going to happen, he just wrote it down. He said, that's going to happen. I don't like it, but that's going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. That's how intimately well acquainted he is with you in your house. He knows exactly why every stain is on the carpet. He knows exactly why every hole is in the wall. He knows he knows completely where all the crayon marks are everywhere. Like, you know, he, he, he gets it because he wrote out every single moment. He says, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed, before my first birthday. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. Now he's talking about a, 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 a volume not just an intensity or a depth, but a volume of thoughts. That, that he's thought about us so many times that if we tried to number the amount of times he's thought about us, it would be like numbering the sand. I, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. That God is so, so invested in my life and he's so, he's so in tune to my life that the Bible says that he counts every single hair on our head, which that number changes on, on an hourly basis. And so he's constantly thinking about us, constantly thinking about where we are and what's going on in our life. And so when, so when, when, when he comes to us and he says, I want to redeem you and I want to put you back yeah. to your original purpose, yeah. he, he doesn't, it's not just that he knows what he's talking about, but he knows where you've been. And he knows how where you've been connects with where you're going. Mm. Come on. It's kind of like this. The, the Bible says that he declares the end from the very beginning. And he does that not, not because he's guessing. Well, I think this is probably going to happen. No, he does it because he lives in eternity. He lives in, in he lives outside of time. So for him, it's just as easy to be in tomorrow as it is for him to be in today. It's the same thing. And so when he declares the end from the very beginning, like let's just say this is the end. This is Joseph fulfilling his 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 dream. This is Joseph where he's supposed to be. He's he's God's already there, and so he he speaks to us from there. Like he says, I, I, I see this, not because it's potential, but because it's reality. I see it. But Joseph's still over here. He's a 17-year-old kid. He's like, I, I don't know. Well, okay, maybe. But then he gets sold into slavery, and it's a major detour. And he says, I, I'm never going to be there. And then, he, and, then he, and, and then he gets back to Potiphar's house, this, the master, and things are going pretty well. And then, and then she lies about him, and then he gets off again. I'm definitely never going there. And what he doesn't know is that when God declared the end from the beginning, he didn't just walk a straight line. He'd be like, okay, this is the path. Let's go, Joseph. God actually walked the path that Joseph was going to walk. And so he visited the dungeon. Like that Joseph was going to be in. Like he saw Joseph in the dungeon. He was there. Same. And then... He visited the slave traders, and he was there with them when, when, he, when, he, when he was sold into slavery. And then he found Joseph when he was 17 years old, and he told him the end 
but he had already prepared the way all the way to the beginning. And so for us, you might find yourself somewhere along this zigzag of life, around this up and down. And my message to you is real simple. God knew and knows where you are. And he knew and knows where you can be. And he knew and knows how to get there. In fact, all Joseph had to do was keep was keep walking. Because no matter how long you take, as long as you're still moving forward, you're going to get there. You're going to get to where God's called you to be. His purposes for us are good. And whatever the enemy has done against us, whatever bondage or whatever uh, mistakes we have made, whatever, whatever issues have come between us, he's powerful enough to bring mighty acts of judgment against our enemies and actually trick the enemy into fulfilling his purpose. Because just, just, real, just real quick, I got like one minute. The, the enemy did the same thing to Jesus, right? Like Jesus comes to earth. He's the son of God. The enemy's like, I got to kill that guy. We got to kill him. We got to kill him, crucify him, actually. That's pretty painful. Let's do that. But God all along said, my son has to come and he has to die as a sacrifice. How are we going to do that? How, how are we going to kill the most loving, patient, good person that ever walked the planet? Well, the enemy was happy to oblige. <laughs> the enemy said, all right, we got some people who are hateful, some people who are hurtful, some people that are, have got their feathers ruffled, and we're just, we're, we're just going to crucify them. And God said, good thought, good plan. I like it. <laughs> Almost like I drew it up myself. <laughs> Planned it that way. And he used the enemy's rage. He used the enemy's just blind hate. And he used it for salvation for all of us. And that salvation is offered to all of us. And so whatever you're going through, whatever kind of blind hate and rage has come against you, I'm telling you that God is in the outcome. His plans for you are good. And whatever the enemy intended for evil, God has intended and used And this is what scripture says about Jesus, because sometimes when we think about that, we think, well, why did I have to go through all that? Right? It's just natural. But this is what it says about Jesus in, in the book of Hebrews. It says that he, that Jesus did what he did. He went to the cross because of one thing, because he saw the joy that was set before him. And so honestly, I don't know the why. I don't, I don't know why all of our paths have gone the way that we have. I don't know why Joseph had to go through what he went through, except he had to get in to where he was going. I don't know why it had to work out that way. But I do know that when you see the joy of where you're going, you are able to say, okay, well, whatever it took to get me there, that's where I want to be. Whenever it's like, it's like Samson, I don't think Samson had huge regrets. I think he got to die doing what he was created to do. And I think he was excited about that. I think he was thankful for that. He's like, sweet, I'm going to heaven. I'm done with this whole thing. And I just accomplished my purpose. Went out in a blaze of glory. Because he saw the joy that was beyond the pain. He saw the joy that was set before him. And so he endured the cross, despising it, hating it, every second of it. But he said, oh, look at that joy afterward. 
And that's the joy that we want each and every one of you to experience. That through it all, that through all of life's zigzags and up and downs, that God has joy prepared for you. And so we want to help you experience that. Honestly, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. And so I'm just going to offer that to everybody here today. If you would like to receive Jesus into your heart and put your faith in Jesus, that's the first step of restoration and redemption of everything that you've, that you've been through. That's the first step to ensure that nothing is wasted. And so if you would like that, I would just like for you to raise your hand right now and just say, I want to I pray that prayer. I want to receive that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I want to take that step and just put my faith in Jesus. That even though I don't understand, I believe that he has a plan for me. And now let's go ahead and pray.